You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and I can't believe that 2024 marks 10 years of podcasting. Over the last decade, I have had the pleasure of talking with hundreds upon hundreds of passionate outdoors men and women who share the same excitement for hunting as I do. Whether you hunt public lands or private property, shoot traditional archery equipment or high-powered rifles, we all have one thing in common. And that's our love for the great outdoors. This year, I plan on continuing that tradition and bringing educational and entertaining content to your ears. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you all have the best seasons of your life. Good vibes in, good vibes out. Mic check, one, two. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of No Foreplay. Today we have returning guest Clint Campbell from the Truth From The Stand podcast on. And the topic of conversation today is postseason scouting and how that can help you for future seasons. Now, we get into a whole bunch of detailed topics within that specific topic. We talk about terrain. We talk about snowfall precipitation. We talk about um, uh, food sources, historical data, trail camera information, all that stuff plays into this postseason scouting. And maybe, just maybe, why you shouldn't scout and shed hunt at the same time. Maybe you should have a, a, a separate trip dedicated for late season scouting or postseason scouting and then another season or another trip planned for just shed hunting and uh, we voice our opinions about that as well so awesome episode as usual huge shout out quick huge shout out to all the brands that help support the nine finger chronicles podcast please go out and support these brands let them know that you heard about their brand from the nine finger chronicles podcast if you're looking for a saddle go check out tethered if you're looking for some of the best broadheads on the market and a company who's been around for a very long time go check out wasp broadheads wasparchery.com discount code nfc20 for 20 percent off some of the best optics in the game vortexoptics.com if you're looking for a rangefinder, spotting scope rifle scope pair of binoculars red dot you name it they have it vortexoptics.com uh, next code blue sense codebluesense.com i'm a huge fan of the the ropadope preorbital gland setup for setting up mock scrapes put a trail camera over it 
bingo. Now you got inventory of every deer on the property. CodeBlueSense.com, discount code NFC20. If you're looking for a habitat tool that is durable, made in America, and can take a beating and still perform, go check out the Woodman's Pal at woodmanspal.com. It's a habitat tool. It's kind of like a machete. You can hack branches. You can hack grass you can make mock scrapes with it it's just a great overall tool to keep in your truck or your pack and last but not least Huntworth man right now it's cold it's late season uh, if you're still hunting or you uh, there's a late season unit but you don't have any cold weather uh, gear go check out Huntworth in their heat boost technology so huntworthgear.com they have everything from hot weather gear mid-season gear all the way to late season gear so uh go check out huntworth oh and now last but not least please go out and support my new brand full sneak gear go visit fullsneakgear.com take a look at all of the t-shirts right now we have one two three four five t-shirts two stocking caps one hat and a crew neck sweatshirt uh very high quality gear uh very well um, manufactured product as far as the screen printing is concerned should last you a while if you take care of it or if you're like me and you wear the same t-shirt every day it should last you about a year so <laughs> I, I have like five t-shirts that I rotate through no joke and so I wear them fit about 52 times a year if not more so uh, fullsneakgear.com and that's it no foreplay no BS let's get into today's episode with Clint Campbell all about postseason scouting three two one all right ladies and gentlemen welcome to another episode of no foreplay with returning guest clint campbell of the uh, of the truth from the stand uh podcast having a good week so far it's going pretty good man i can't complain was off this past uh, week an extra day so i got an extra day of jujitsu in so life is good yeah dude i uh I had an MRI on my shoulder uh, last week, and so tomorrow is a Wednesday, and I get the results of it. So I'm going back into the office to get the results and see if I have a tear uh, in anything. Oh, so I hope man. it's I hope it's not. I hope I don't have to get it fixed. Uh, and it's just like, hey, take some time off recovery because I bet you, if I know if I know how you act, you miss a week or two of jujitsu, you kind of feel like god oh god damn it like i want to be back in there and i want to start start rolling again yeah yeah 100 percent. like i actually have a, a tear in my labrum in my left shoulder and then i separated the ac joint in that same shoulder this past june yeah. and so i'm still I've, I've been doing physical therapy since like september i think yeah. roughly yeah and it's much better i mean I, i've had like the um you know i've had an mri done and then i had a uh an ang is it an angiogram arthrogram arthrogram where they shoot your shoulder full of dye and kind of like look for the tears or how severe it is or whatever yep so i'll i'll eventually need surgery to fix it you know once it gets to that point but you know a lot of guys will have especially it's pretty i don't want to say it's common but i've learned after i did it i've learned of more and more archery guys that have the same injury and i don't know if it's just you know, from the constant pulling, because most of the guys I've met have it in their left shoulder and their right-handed shooters, mm -hmm. right? So that's your stabilizing shoulder, right? So yep. that's the one that's getting all the, the tension of you pulling back the bow <clears throat> thousands of times over your life, you know? And a lot of times it starts as like a, uh, 
a slap tear, which is like not a complete tear. It's like a small tear. And my buddy, Greg Litzinger, I mean, he's had one for probably 10 years and he's been able just to kind of do rehab and kind of deal with it or whatever. But when it flares up, man, it's, it sucks. Cause it really last year was not this past season, but the season before it was really bad. It flared up at like the worst possible time. And I thought I was actually going to miss like a large part of the, of, of hunting season just in yeah. general. Same. So, but Same. yeah. Yeah. So that's why I've kind of put off the surgery until I absolutely have to. I was like, I'm going to time it where it's like, when I know I have to do it, it's going to be like, all right, hunting season's over for the most part. I'll maybe forego the late season and just like right after Christmas, Jan one, get the surgery done. That way I'm back by like archery season. Essentially. That's, that's what I need to do. All right. Little bit of foreplay there. Not too much, but <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, enough to, you know, get us loosened up. <laughs> so yeah. We had, a, we had a drink. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hey, you want to go back to my place? All right, let's go. Yeah. Uh, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, today's topic. Why don't you go ahead and share your thoughts on postseason scouting? Sure, man. So postseason scouting for me has probably morphed over the years. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's incredibly valuable. And I don't I'm not saying anything that's groundbreaking here, right? Like it's incredibly important part of of the year. Especially, you know, if you're in my shoes, you know, public land guy, and I'm kind of always searching for those those new spots, right? Right. But I think I think sometimes we put way too much kind of emphasis on it, and so over the years, I've started kind of changing a little bit as to kind of how I approach it, where it's much more of like my postseason scouting is more probably a speed scout than it is a thorough kind of like dissection of things, right? right? Especially if it's a new, new area, I might comb through an area or areas that I've hunted in the past. And maybe I haven't been back to that spot in two seasons or three seasons or whatever the case is, but I'm going to, I always try to kind of make a sachet through When I say back to that spot, maybe I haven't hunted that spot for two or three seasons, but I try to always make like a sachet through the areas that I'm familiar with and try to start to like more specifically dissect them. But kind of overall, I take more of a speed scouting approach because what I've kind of learned is that I spend a lot of time in, in areas that are maybe new to me, and I don't learn as much in the postseason as I do if I just go in during the season and scout them. Mm-hmm. And so my postseason is is really like dial in new spots, or I'm sorry, dial in old spots, further kind of dial those in because I have I have multiple postseasons of scouting those places. I probably have a season or two of like a handful of sits in each one of those spots. And then I've also scouted them during the during the season. Mm-hmm. So I have a pretty good idea of what that spot is. And so I can spend more time there kind of dialing it and knowing that the effort I'm putting in is actually working towards something where new spots that I'm finding, I just kind of go through and kind of almost like if you were to make an outline, go like, okay, here's the main terrain feature that I like. I found a scrape here. Here's where the rub line, here's where a rub line is at. And this is what my access would probably be. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I don't know there, if there's oak trees or whatever I find there, it's like, well, there's oaks going to produce or not, you know, whenever I access, what wind do I actually need to access on? Cause do I know exactly where the deer are bedding or don't, or don't I, do I know what the wind is actually going to do in that particular area when it's prevailing? Like what's the thermal, what the thermal is going to do, you know, all those kind of variables that you don't know until you actually hunt it. Yeah. Like, I feel like if I spend too much time in that spot, I start drawing some really concrete conclusions about a lot of things I don't know a whole lot about. Right. And so I've kind of de-emphasized my postseason scouting to a degree when it comes to new areas in terms of like it being super in depth with it and spend more time doing more in depth analysis of spots I'm already kind of familiar with. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
I have in the past always gone with shed hunting usually as a postseason scouting until I, I knew that I wasn't focusing on the terrain as much. I mean, I was looking for antlers, but I really wasn't focusing on the on the terrain. So I made it a point to get out there before the antlers dropped. And what's cool, I don't know, do you guys have a ton of snow on the ground right now? We just got probably like five inches like in my local area. Yeah. So we're sitting on probably two and a half feet to three feet Ooh. in certain parts of the state. So over the course of this month, it's all added up and we've got... Um, you know, we got all the snow on the ground. And so what does that do? It's two things, really, that I, I really love about the weather part of late season scouting. And that is the snow just flattens everything out and you get to see, you get, you get to walk into the timber. There's no vegetation on the ground. If there is any type of grass, now it's all been pushed down. And you can see through the timber and you can see the subtle terrain changes uh, in the landscape. And then what I do is I memory bank that. Right. And then, so I go into a spot and I say, okay, this looked, you know, when I came here and I did the scouting and I saw the, the subtle terrain features, I'll go in with a set and then I'll say, where are the deer moving? And so it's just a layer of data with another layer of data on it. And so, cause you mentioned, um, you know, maybe a little bit of high level and that's what I what I would do is the the high level scouting mm -hmm. walking through locating an area and then the dissection of that comes when I'm actually you know during the hunting season you know what I mean yeah. and then doing the micro adjustments um yeah when it comes to focus is there a main focus for you in so you say to yourself today is a scouting day it's january it's february what are you focusing on when you go out into the woods if it's a if it's a, a spot that i'm kind of familiar with like I, like i kind of said it's like i'll try to focus on further dialing that in i'll use whatever i learned from that previous hunting season whether it was from scouting it or from sitting it and watching what the deer were doing or whatever and if i can get a better sense of that then i'll start to try to you know, dial in like the setup location or whatever, or yeah. try to figure, okay, I know that the deer have been doing this historically. I've hunted this spot. It's just say three years or whatever. And I know historically they like to do this. It's like, now I might try to pick different trees or different setups for different wins. So I have multiple wins that I can kind of hunt on. And like in the first kind of glance of a spot, I usually don't pick multiple trees. It's like, I'll pick like, okay, I think I can hunt it off on this wind. And that'll be the wind that I feel confident in until i hunted a couple of times and kind of know and then i i might know that i can get away with a couple other kind of wins right in a given spot a new area for me and it like i said it's a lot of high level kind of speed scouting through but the main thing i'm looking for is i'm looking for either rub lines typically or i'm looking for scrape lines and the reason being is like and i don't really play rub lines a whole lot but if i'm really if I'm in an area and I'm struggling and I'm not finding a lot of stuff that I'm really finding interesting, if I can find a rub line, I'll jump on it because a lot of times that rub line will lead to a scrape, which then that, usually that scrape line or that scrape will turn into some form of scrape line and it'll take me ultimately to what I'm looking for, yeah. which is a community scrape, right? And usually if I can find that rub line or a scrape line, and it doesn't have to be like, I'm not talking like you're finding rubs every 10 yards. I'm talking like they might be sp spaced out 50, 70 yards, like yeah. apart or whatever, and that's yeah. fine. 
Um, but usually what I'll do is like, if I can find maybe two of them in a row or three, you know, three is like a gold mine, but I'll then look at a map and be like, well, what is it that is drawing the deer to this particular kind of line of, of travel? Mm-hmm. And then once I look at that, you can usually find like a terrain feature or like a habitat kind of like hard edge or something like that that's being created or that's been created that the deer are following and all that sign is going to kind of exist within right. that kind of general, that general like direction. Right. Yeah. And so then I'll usually kind of walk that out and that's usually where I'll find like my community scrapes. And I do a lot of hanging cameras and qualifying community scrapes just in general. Like it's got to have a licking branch and it has to look like it's been used for a couple of years. And if that's the case, I'll throw a camera on it yeah. like in February and I'll check it you know, sometime, you know, during shed hunting or whatever the case is, because what I'm really looking for is for that community scrape to get hit by does and, you know, yearlings, whatever the case is during the off season. So anytime between, you know, between, you know, post season and then really like velvet, essentially, if I get something that even resembles consistent kind of use of that, then I know that I'm in an area that's probably pretty close to doe bedding, pretty close to food. So it kind of qualifies that it's like a decent spot. So then, then I can go in and kind of tweak and be like, okay, why are deer constantly kind of congregated into this spot? So then it's like, now, if I didn't find any of the feed trees that are around, then I kind of go in and say, all right, are there feed trees around? Where's the, where's the bedding at? Where are the kind of like the adjacent opportunities for deer to spend time? And then once I find that stuff, that's when I know, okay, now I have a, I know I have a spot that's worth spending some time hunting. So I do a lot of kind of qualifying areas, just using community scrapes to qualify the spot. Okay. Give me an example of a spot that you have found during late season scouting that has led to you killing a deer in that area. So this year, uh, the buck I killed in PA was exactly that. Um, A couple years ago, I was scouting this particular area, um, and it gets a lot of pressure. And so I was looking on the map, and I could see, like, it's one little area that kind of opened up. It was kind of surrounded by— When you say topo— or when you say map, do you mean topo or do you mean uh, satellite imagery? This was satellite imagery because a lot of the stuff that's local to me is is pretty flat. Okay. I don't have a lot of kind of up and down change. You know, I'll have some, but a lot of the places I spend time in, I spend more time probably locally in swampy areas just mm-hmm. because they're the hardest to kind of get to and the places that people don't want to go to. Right. So I saw like a little opening and I was like, yeah, that's kind of interesting. I was like, I'll make my way toward that. And so I was scouting and I ended up getting to a spot where it got – so thick and i didn't see how thick couldn't tell exactly how thick it was on the map that i was literally on my hands and knees kind of crawling right and so once i got to kind of through the edge of it i was seeing a bunch of rubs and stuff in the, you know in that thick nasty stuff and once i popped out the other end it kind of opened up and i was like huh this is kind of an interesting area it's kind of swampy all the grass is dead there's a lot of kind of dead trees and dead falling there just because it holds a lot of moisture so it kills a lot of the stuff that's trying to grow and i was just kind of looking around and saw like a couple rubs followed those rubs and all of a sudden boom i found you know, a couple scrapes and then I found a couple more. And then all of a sudden there was like five in a general area around this. I don't even know what kind of shrub, what kind of bush it is, but it was all around this bush. And I was like, Yahtzee, it's yeah. it had a couple of branches. I was like, here's the community scrape. Right. So I ended up scouting a little further kind of around the area. I found a couple more scrapes. But then I found what their line of travel was and kind of understood where they were coming from. Scout a little further to the north and kind of realized that like a lot of the buck sign was further to the north. A lot of the doe sign, you know, and doe bedding was a little bit more south and, you know, I guess west of that particular spot. And so I kind of figured out, I was like, 
man, this is really their line of travel. I was like, I feel like the does are living in, in this general area, and I feel like the bucks are living just a little north of here. And I feel like it's going to, like the pressure that comes into this spot is all going to come from the edges. And it's going to push the deer down to this area, which I felt like would create just a little bit more action in that area during October, November. And sure enough, it's like the past three years I've had three encounters and killed one uh, this year on October 16th in that, in that spot off that community scrape. Man. And so it, it's, you know, it was just, it was knowing what the pressure was going to do mm-hmm. and that being kind of like a hot spot where deer wanted to kind of aggregate. Um, and then they're letting the, the human pressure kind of do its job and push those deer to me because you really can't get into that spot any other way other than through with water. If you try to walk in to hunt that particular area, you'll blow everything out. Yeah. And so all, everyone's kind of coming in from the edges and hunting basically to the north of that. And so they just kind of push all the deer movement, you know, once hunting season hits to the south where I'm, where I'm set up and where that scrape is. That's awesome. It, it almost sounds like you, well, it is what you did. You reverse engineered that spot. You found it through scouting then applied the access route to it uh and that you said that was through water right yeah dude yeah that that kind of stuff just hypes me up man like (laughs) it playing that playing that game right you you're saying okay the signs here uh that means the deer are here now what are the people doing in your case like for me i don't necessarily have to take people into consideration that often sometimes i do uh, you obviously have to, and you almost used used you used that pressure to your advantage, which is mm-hmm. is a beautiful thing. And so, yeah, there there's actually a guy I had run into at one point because I would hunt some of the areas around it earlier in the season. There was a really big deer that I'd found because my season opens up mid September, and I think it yeah. was the first year I hunted this piece. I ended up glassing a really big deer in the general area. It wasn't like on the the public but he was close enough to the public where i really kind of thought his best betting opportunity was going to be on the public yeah and so long story short was as i hunted that deer opening week and i was within 20 yards of him and jumped him out of his bed and never saw him again but what i ended up learning on that hunt was as i was kind of like walking out after a couple hunts in that general area and because i wasn't diving into the honey hole quite yet right is i I kind of found where everyone was set up because I ran into guys. Like one guy had a stand here and the guy had a stand here. And there was a guy that was probably not more than maybe 150 yards from where I was hunting and where I was seeing a bunch of deer, you know, and that dude was seeing nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Um, is there any no-go scenario where you go into an area, maybe there's some sign there, but you say, oh, no, man, this, this, this spot is not good. Uh, you know, I can't off the top of my head say like there's something that I would I would see because a lot of times, you know, people will get deterred by human sign. Um, and I don't necessarily get too deterred by it. It just kind of de- it just kind of depends. It's funny. Greg Litzinger, I, Litzinger and I always kind of joke about it. I'm like, man, if you hunt this area in Pennsylvania or New Jersey and you're deterred by bright eyes or flagging tape, you're never going to hunt, yeah. you know, because <laughs> that's just because it's all over the place, you yeah. know. Um, so from a scouting standpoint, not really, um, it, it might make me pause and and just kind of say to myself, like, Hey, I probably need to jump in here early part of the season and just see if there's a lot of human sign, like that's right now. Cause the postseason human sign, it could be in there during rifle season. If they're during, they're during rifle season, gun season, like I don't really care. Yeah. Um, so it probably is more of like a, put it in the bank and, uh, make a note of it and go, Hey, I need to be in here like opening week 
just to kind of walk through and see if someone has a stand hung, if there's boot tracks in here, if there's new flagging tape that wasn't here before or whatever the case is. Um, So there's not really like a, there's not like a hard and fast rule I have other than, you know, every hunter that's been doing this for a while, it's like you get, you get a spidey sense at some point, you know, where it's like you sometimes walk into an area and even though the signs there, you're just kind of looking at it going, "Mm, I don't know. I just ain't feeling this spot, you know? And then, for whatever reason and so that, that happens from time to time but there's not like one lock and lock and stock answer where it's like yeah. if i see this i'm out yeah i will say this two years no not this year not last year it, it was last year it was a uh no was it last year i think it was last year um i knew the farm was gonna sell i had one more year to hunt it I went to a, up on a ridge uh, during shed season and I was looking around it and I was like, man, there's no sign here, but the terrain is just so good. It leads, leads to this little fence corner uh, and the deer just kind of, there's a heavy trail that loops around it and it goes back up into this alfalfa field or it could jump a, e- easily jump a fence to the south and get into an ag field. And so they had, they had a destination food source right there. But there was no sign, no scrapes, nothing on this little knob. Uh, so I had one trail camera left over, and I put it up, and I came back to it. And what do you know? Two really big mature bucks using this air, this area. And so I always, you know, sign is very important for when you're looking for deer, especially right now type of deer. But... Mm-hmm. I would, with a with a, a word of caution, say, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this. Don't don't put all your eggs in one basket in in the sign basket because mm-hmm. deer don't always lay sign in, you know, just where they're walking all the time. Right. Sometimes it can be it can be terrain uh, weighted as well, and so I just ever since that day. I've looked at terrain over old sign as as an indicator of where I want to put my my stands come the fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's funny that you you bring that up because that's one of the things where you know I learned uh, a good lesson in hunting Southern Ohio. This is years ago. I was hunting with Chad um, down there and. You know, it wasn't a secret. He was hunting a big deer that was down there that was, you know, pushing 200 inches. You know, like yep. we had him on camera. We knew that that deer was there. Um, and there was another one that was two ridges over that I was, uh, that we had on camera that I was hunting. And he was like, he was a Boone and Crockett deer, you mm-hmm. know, also. And if you were to hike and scout any of that, you would never know that there were two deer that were both, you know, world-class deer living that close together by the sign you would see there because there was hardly any. Right. Right. But those deer were, I mean, they were active except when we were hunting them there, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, they, um, you know, I mean, Chad did have an encounter with that with that one, um, with the big one. But uh, I think I think you're right. What I've kind of learned, in, 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 sign is super, super valuable and su- super critical. But what I've learned to kind of do, I guess, in how I look at it is, you know, you do all the normal stuff of like, well, what time of year was made, you know, was that made? And that's what you're doing during the postseason. It's a little easier during, you know, in season because you kind of know the time stamp of like, I've been in here this date and now I'm back and it was made between then and now, right? Mm-hmm. But, and you do like, you know, what time of year was it made and and and, thing, and things of that nature. But 
what I've kind of started learning to do is that that sign is only telling you that at, at some point deer had spent time right. there. You don't know if it was during daylight. You don't know if it was during, you know, shooting hours, you know, or hunting, hunting hours or whatever the case is. What, what it tells you more that is more useful though, is that they had to get there somehow. Yeah. Right. And so what is the most logical way for that deer to have gotten to that spot? Exactly. Right? And so then, and so that's when you start to like, cause when you hear guys like, um, it used to, I mean, I understood it academically, but not necessarily in practice, you know, a hundred percent until probably the past couple of years, but it was like, I would talk to guys like Nathan Killen and, and, you know, he would find hammer scrapes, you know, and big rubs and he would never hunt anywhere close. Like he would always be like 60, 70, maybe even a hundred yards off of that, of that huge sign that he'd found. And the reason being is because he was always hunting them in the in-between because he's like, I know that they're coming, they're, they're spending time here but I want, I need to catch them on their route to there, yeah. you know, cause I can't bank on them getting to that particular spot, yep. you know? And so that I think is the other important thing when you're looking at stuff during the postseason, cause you got a lot of time, right. Is like you walk those transition lines and stuff like that. You think they might be using like find where that signs at and then walk them. And, and I was just going to say, when you said you had snow, it's a little too much snow to do this, but yeah. the amount that I have right now is like perfect to go out and do some late season scouting and start at places where you find some aggregated sign and like, and follow those deer tracks wherever they go, man. I love doing that where it's like, yep. I'll just get on a set of deer tracks and just walk. Yep. And I might spend a whole day walking one out, you know what I mean? And just kind of off shooting and checking out different little terrain features along the way and stuff like that. Yeah, It's like one of the best times to be in the woods was when yeah. there's just a little bit of snow on the ground that you can use. Yeah. You know, outside of when a deer gets spooked and is running away from some kind of danger, they're walking it, the terrain or throughout the landscape for a reason. And mm -hmm. th that is where, like for me, uh, one of the, one of the, the, the best tool is like an onyx or a hunt stand or, or some, something like that. Right. I can remember one, one year I walked the entire property, this property that I used to have. And I marked any time there were two deer trails that crossed each other. And there were these crazy dots all over a map. I, I, I then took, like, you know, this is like bathroom work, right? I'm, I'm sitting on the toilet or, I, you know, I, I'm waiting in line somewhere or something, do it, you know, like that. I just connected all these dots. And, and really what, you, what you've done there is you've put together basically a roadmap of where these deer are traveling. And where do you want to set up a, a tree stand? Right along one of their roads. Right. And right. so it, it was just kind of this aha moment for me when I, I was just like, holy cow, right. why didn't I, why didn't I think of any of this earlier? And then you have these backup plans and then you can go in there and you can say, okay, I'm going to start here because this is a huge intersection and I have good access into this. And then when you're in there, then you can say, okay, I saw deer doing this on this map or in this part that I already documented. Now I just got to move my stand 50 yards, a hundred yards on this wind, or, you know, you go in on, a, you know, on multiple winds and it's just the chess game. Right. And so, mm -hmm. but which ultimately leads to it's because of the, the postseason scouting that I did or the, the you know, yeah. the, the late season scouting. And so outside of that, you know, what we've discussed today, if someone 
walks into the woods after hearing this today and they're just like, oh my God, I'm lost. Where do I start? I feel overwhelmed. What are some things that you could tell this person to not, you know, just focus on this and don't worry about anything else? Yeah. It's funny because I'll get that question, you know, quite a bit. Um, and I always tell them to start right where I started because, I mean, look, you can do this as long as you want to do it. I still walk into pieces of timber. And I think most people probably do every now and then, no matter how long they've been doing it. And you just kind of go, uh, I've been walking around. I've walked three miles. I haven't found anything or however far, however far you've been walking. Right. Yeah. And you're like, man, I should have seen something by now. And sometimes you kind of outthink yourself a little bit, make, think you're a little smarter than you are. You know what I mean? And, and that happens with me some, uh, you know, a lot of the time. And so what I'll often do is I, what I'll tell people is just like, find a terrain feature that is like a, a for sure, like deer like to use it. Right. Like right. find a hard edge, right. And just walk that hard edge, whether it's a clear cut, whether it's a food source, like a field of some sort, whether it's like a swamp edge or whatever it is and walk that until you find sign because you'll eventually find sign right yeah. and you'll or you'll find a trail leading to it or coming from it right right and then once you find that trail just start walking it yeah. and you'll end up running into sign that'll start to pique your interest and then you start looking like oh why why is this rub over here and not over there and it's like oh okay there's a there's a there's a big ditch over here well let me go check that ditch out yeah. right and so you'll start to find things you can start to kind of explore but i always say like don't make it harder than it needs to be. Like, don't outthink yourself. Find an edge, follow it, find a deer trail, start walking it, and eventually you'll find some sign and then just start take, just start following it wherever that sign kind of leads you. You know, and, there, and then you, you can get into like, oh yeah, look for these type, types of terrain features and stuff like that. But if it's someone who's just kind of getting started, it, it's just make it simple, man. Find an edge, find some sign, follow the sign. Like, Absolutely. don't make it any harder than it needs to be. Absolutely. Keep it simple, stupid, right? Yep, 100%. There you go. Hey, and that's a great place to end it. Man, I really appreciate you taking time again. And now we got to start brainstorming about the next episode. That's right, brother. I appreciate you, man.